Blog Talk Radio. America's quintessential iconoclastic anomaly. Wow. In talk radio, your host, Joe Cristiano. Welcome, everyone, to Liberty Talk Radio, America's libertarian voice, broadcasting from our studio in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to around the world. I'm your host, Joe Cristiano, and this is your antidote to popular talk radio. Folks, it's time for us to take back control of our government, now before this bureaucratic, oversized, and self-serving federal government starves us of our property, our freedom, our rights, and our liberty. But to do this, we must shed conventional thinking regarding our political structure. We need to be revolutionaries in thought. This is in action. Only after we recognize what our government is doing to our freedom and our Constitution will we start taking it back. And this program is just about that. that. Today, we're pleased and honored to have Mr. Scott Faulkner as our guest. He's the author of the critically acclaimed bestseller, Naked Emperors, The Failure of the Republican Revolution. And boy, are we experiencing that in today's today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he advises new corporations on strategic change in their leadership, including the American Management Association and even the World Bank. So we should be very suspicious of him at this point. <laughs> Only kidding, of course. Uh, he works with government, governments and corporations in, in emerging market, uh, market economies. Uh, he's been on TV. You name the station. He's been on it. Uh, Fox News, uh, Bloomberg, all of it. Um, today we'll be discussing, I guess, the current state of affairs, you know, with a Republican president and Republican-controlled Congress. Quite frankly, I've always been dismayed, you know, when we have a new elected president and a new Congress, and I've never been skeptical. This is honestly the first time that I personally are literally afraid of what is going on. I don't understand it. I hope he can enlighten me, and maybe I won't jump out a window. All right? Scott, welcome back to Liberty Talk Radio. Always a pleasure, Joe. Uh, I, I am truly concerned about the situation at hand. It seems that our president, although, you know, even some of the zombies here in the studio walk around <laughs> saying, um, you know, well, don't worry, Trump will make America great again. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And um, uh, it seems that he has no philosophical basis from which he works. He doesn't have a, any grasp, any grasp. I don't think he understands the Constitution or knows it exists. Um, he's got no... Um, ethical standing um he he comes from the same neighborhood i did i'm from east harlem new york i understand new yorkers you know and um he's like a bully you know well all i get is be tough you know knock this guy on his behind you know and he'll you know he'll he'll do what i say and it seems like he's got this concoction of different tools that he uses that the antithesis of what the president should be. And most of all, 
in my opinion, my humble opinion, he has no concept of what his job is. He thinks he's there. He's the boss. He thinks he owns the United States, and now he's going to tell everybody what to do. He doesn't stand. He is a servant to the people. We don't serve him. Now, that being said, and before I lose my mind altogether, would you please help me out? Well, let's start with uh, the thing that the, uh, the national media is all freaking out about, which is DECA, which is this Dreamers Act that uh, Obama threw out on the table in June of last year. That was totally an overreach by the president. It broke all sorts of rules, especially regarding our entire federal system. He was legislating as opposed to modifying legislation. And so even his own people said it was an unconstitutional act. Dozens of states were going to take, were, were taking this act, this executive order of Obama's through the court system Trump is letting it lapse over the next six months and saying, if you really want these 800,000 children of illegals to stay in the country and prove that they're productive, Amer productive citizens who really want to be citizens, it should be a legislative act, not a presidential act. And he is uh, right. And so here's an example of the Constitution actually being invoked. What a concept. Okay. And I, you know, I agree. The, the, the problem that I have is that Congress is responsible for legislation. The president's yes. main job is to protect me. He's the one that's supposed to say they are legislating something that is unconstitutional. Of course, he doesn't know where the Constitution is. He couldn't find it in, in, in he couldn't find it in a book of fee. He tried, but you know he should be saying every time Congress does something unconstitutional, then he should be the one saying no, thank you. It seems that it's all backwards. It's not happening that way. It's rare that if it has happened, it's rare. He's not vetoed much because Congress hasn't passed much. And that's one of the big problems that we're facing right now is that Congress is pretty much like a freshman dorm. They've screwed around all term. They're trying to pull an all-nighter. And in the end, they're asking the professor, in this case, the American public, for an extension. And so that's really where we are right now. They're going to kick the can down the road on the debt limit. They're putting forth uh, needed flood uh, relief to uh, Texas and the other Gulf states. But, and they're going to do a continuing resolution to get past October 1st to the end of the year. But they're not addressing one single issue. They've, they have not passed a budget resolution that's usually done in April. They have not passed one single appropriation bill. They have done, they've basically named a lot of post offices and pretty much nothing else. Uh, you know, I, I could take one at a time. I, 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 I don't know where I'm tongue tied because I, there's so much in me that wants to just spout out, you know, that I'm sure I'm going to say everything wrong. But uh, 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 let's take uh, the budget. They don't act right. on a budget. They have no money. They spend nothing. They're broke. They all go home. They don't get paid. Very simple. Well, you know, I own businesses. You know, if the business doesn't make any money, there's no money in their bank account. I don't write a bum check. They write a bum check. I'm saying I'm glad that they're not legislating. I don't want them to legislate. They've over-legislated for 200 years. Stop legislating. Let's go back to the Calvin Coolidge days where right. he re reduced government by 50% during the worst depression this country has ever seen, and it bounced back within 18 months to a thriving economy because he said, let the free market figure it out. 
These guys know what it's doing. He was the only good president that I remember in history. But uh-huh. we have a guy who says, I know I have to do it. You know, I have to do it for you. I'm saying that's the problem. The problem is not that they haven't legislated, is that they haven't legislated and they haven't gone home without a paycheck. Well, part of it is, is that they need to dismantle things. And just simply closing the government down, we know that you can't just simply get rid of the FBI, the military, our border protection. We can't uh, get rid of it. Right now, air traffic is still a government function. So you actually have to have certain things paid for or uh, cost covered until you change the system and change right. the way services are delivered. So the fact that they have done nothing to move forward to change anything and they have not moved forward to fund anything until this kicking the can down the road in the last 24 hours, they really have done virtually nothing since this 2016 election, which you're right. In, in an ideal world, nothing is good, but right now, nothing is bad. All right. I want to take a couple other things then. All right. A couple of, mm-hmm. One item that you just mentioned, all right, the um, air traffic controllers, that should be privatized. Government should it have nothing should. to do with that. So if, in fact, we shut down the government and they went home, at least that would not be affected. Let's take these hurricanes. And I, and I know this is going to sound cruel. Now, personally, I wrote out a check to an organization. I forgot which one it was, but they were, I had a host of organizations where I can write a check that is, are helping the people there. I voluntarily did that. Government didn't tell me to do it. You know, I'm not getting any tax deduction or anything. I'm just sending them a right. check, right? And so right. have millions of other people done the same thing. I even Absolutely. know people who have taken their pickup trucks and gone down there to help the people out. We don't well, need the federal Navy government. Too. What, excuse me? The Cajun Navy that's brought all their bass boats down to help rescue yeah, all those people. I, I'm just saying that people helping people. We had a, uh, a, a terrible uh, a tornado. Well, there's no, there's no good tornadoes, but some are light duty. I mean, they bounce and whatever, yeah. and they don't, they do, oh, don't do much damage. Yeah. Take a town just one hour away from here, Joplin, Missouri, about mm-hmm. one, one hour from here. Took it off the map. There wasn't a, when FEMA right. showed up, you know what the people in, in, uh, in Joplin did? They threw them out. They said, get out. We can figure it ourselves. Within six months, that town was humming again. I mean, they didn't take a penny in aid from anyone. They knew if the federal government came in, it would be years of government regulation. And they did the smart thing. They said, get the hell out and don't ever come back. And they didn't take a dime from anyone. And everyone helped out. People were chipping in from all over the place. And that place built up so fastly. You, you think it was a new town just being discovered and everyone just wanted to move in. My point is that the government should not be involved at all in, in, in the hurricane. If you bought a house in Florida, right? If you wanted to buy a house in Florida, I said, hey, by the way, I lived in Florida. There's such a thing as hurricanes. And how long are you going to live there? Oh, 20 years? What's the probability of a hurricane slamming into Florida in the next 20 years? You'd say, well, probably 100% because about every 10 years they get a good one. You know? So would you not buy insurance? Would you buy a house on the water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? But no, people do that. They say, I don't have insurance because I can't afford it. It's too expensive. Well, you know, dummy for brains. The reason why it's expensive is because your house is going to get blown away. But when it gets blown away, the government comes out and says, these people don't have insurance. We have, you know, we have to help them. In other words, they don't help. They take my money. I give it to the government. 20 cents on the dollar goes to Florida to help the people out. These other guys all divvy up the rest of the money, all right? So 
it's they violate the very basic uh, basis of of state mm-hmm. sovereignty, and and they take the responsibility away from the person to protect themselves and their family, and they relegate it to the government. I think that's all wrong, and I'm not heartless. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's mm-hmm. wrong. What say you? For certain areas, 100-year floodplains, certainly almost the entire East Coast and most of the Gulf Coast, is a, these are areas where you shouldn't be building up to the water's edge, period. Right. You don't want, whether it's state laws, local zoning, people have allowed real estate developers and other people to basically push the envelope, and when the envelope push, pushes back, they expect to be bailed out. Right. And when I think of Hurricane Sandy and all the effort made there and down all the way through Delaware and into uh, Maryland, they, the entire East Coast is what you would call a subsiding coastline. This is ge- basic geology. There are some coastlines because of the plate tectonics that rise, like the Great Lakes are still springing up because of the glaciers. You have sub, and then you have areas that are eroding. The East Coast is eroding. It's been eroding for a million plus years. It'll be eroding for several more million years. So the moment that you build on a sand berm, you start to pile up uh, um, all sorts of uh, breakwaters and things and put in uh, resorts, you're asking for it. And we sh- the federal pay- taxpayers and local state payers should not be asked to bail out developers who gambled and lost. Yeah. Several years ago, Chris Christie, was giving a speech to the people in New Jersey you know, uh-huh. and uh, when he was governor there. And uh, he said, we are going to rebuild all these houses and provide every, you know, they're going to provide funding to uh-huh. rebuild all these houses to get lost during that hurricane and storm that came through Jersey and leveled everything. Now, these houses were mega houses. I mean, uh-huh. I could not afford, I, you know, I have money and I would never spend that much money on a house. And they're right on the water. And while uh-huh. he was giving this speech, you know, a person actually literally raised his hand. He said, Governor, may I ask a question? And he said, yes. He said, well, why are we rebuilding houses on the Jersey Shore when we know within the next X number of years, maybe 10 or 20 years, you know, another storm will come by and, and swallow up these houses all over again? And you know what his answer was? You, you want to know what his answer was? I'll never forget this. He said, because I can do what the heck I want. I'm the governor, and I say we're going to build them, then we're going to build them. And I don't need you to tell me what to do. That was his answer. Mm-hmm. I would have impeached that SOB right then and there. Oh, right yeah, then that's and not there democracy at all. Yeah. Well, my point, the guy made a good point. He said, well, why are we funding someone to build a multi-million dollar house? No one would insurance. No insurance company in their right mind would, unless you you would pay an amount equal to the, the cost of the house within five years, maybe something like that. Of course, then you're talking about probably $5,000 a month, you know, in insurance. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so my point is the same thing with these other places. I live in Oklahoma. Three days, now this was in 1975, well before you were born. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right, that was a compliment. You can say thank you thank very you. much, you know. Very much. Please, you know. <laughs> but, but three days after I moved in, it was in June of 1970, 1974, a tornado missed my house by one less than a quarter mile. I mean, it was right wow. over mm-hmm. the, there was a street, houses, a little shopping center, and that street right across the street wiped out. 
totally gone. Okay, I mean, we're talking. I remember the the sky turned a light green, right? Uh-huh. And everything, nothing was going down. Everything was going. I never saw this uh-huh. before in my life because I was up from upstate New York. We didn't have those things, you know. And um, we hid in the closet, you know. And we were very fortunate. But since then, I built a um, a a shelter in my garage. It's a seven by five shelter. We have food and water down there, stuff like that. If if it should happen. That's where we're going. Dogs, cats, everybody goes down there. Of course, not my wife. We don't have room for her. But uh, only kidding. Only kidding. Don't tell her that. But, but you know, so we are, we are, I know what the risk is. But the risk is not as high as being on the coast. The probability, exactly. the probability of me getting hit by a tornado may be one in a thousand or something like that because it, they, they're pinpoints. You know, they just come down and they sure. – sometimes they just come down, bounce, and they go and they – a block right. gets taken out, but very rarely does a whole city be taken out. A hurricane right. is different. It can take out an entire state, you know, yes. with no mercy whatsoever. And the, the uh, rebuild may take six months. Um, so, but I have insure. I pay heavy insurance because I want tornado insurance, and I protect my family by doing the hopefully doing the right thing. Yeah. My yeah, point is that I'm good. not relying on the government, and I neither do I want the government in my face. So why, why does the government take on all this responsibility? I don't understand it. What, what happens to this free country? Help me with this. Well, we go back. You literally have to take the clock all the way back to the 1890s, where you had uh, the, the, the rise of cities and the progressive era, which w- these were real progressives, not the fake ones that the Democrats like to hide behind. And they said, well, we need to, we can no longer just do things in neighborhoods in New York or neighborhoods in Chicago. We need a citywide government. And they, and that was how, and then we needed a regional government and then it's, and it just started to snowball. So literally uh, the old family-based neighborhood-based ways to help people started being stressed as the cities ballooned out in the 1890s and into the early 20th century. And that became the model for the national government. And we can thank Herbert, first of all, Woodrow Wilson, and and then we can thank uh, Herbert Hoover because he laid the groundwork that then Roosevelt took way over the edge. And of course, you're right, Coolidge reversed it big time. He made a mistake in putting putting Hoover in his cabinet because they were uh, directly at odds with how government should work and he should not have let Coolidge uh, I mean let Hoover uh, secede him because Hoover long before the uh, depression was already moving government into places it shouldn't but before that Woodrow Wilson took government where it shouldn't and the progressives in the late 19th century took government where it shouldn't but at the local level there were some arguments to be made that a citywide sewer system, a citywide subway system in New York is probably better than individual neighborhoods, but it, they wanted to take it to the national level. They should have left it at the local level and let federalism reign. Yeah. I, I, it, it just, Scott, it seems to me that every decision we may make is based on some sort of false paradigm with no, no constitutional foundation with a lot of fancy words that make everyone feel good and think that the government is doing something righteous when in fact they're robbing us blind. And, and I, I'm really getting to the point of being totally fed up. And, and you would think that 
someone the, the caliber of Donald Trump would have more sense and at least an appreciation for the Constitution. And by the way, why not read your job description before you run for office? That would help. It seems that he hadn't even done that. And I'm so I'm, I'm I've never been so disappointed in a president, you know. And I'm going on in years. I'm, I'm I know I'm still young. I'm gonna I'm only 74. I got a long way to go, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been through a lot of presidents, and he's been really disappointing. I think he disappoints me more than Obama. Oh, Obama, I think, was zero, you know. So you can imagine where I put Trump right. right now. And um, anyway, now let's go on to some stuff that's not so gruesome. The the war the war he's wants to wage with North Korea, you know, uh-huh. the bombing in Syria, uh, all the people we're killing in Yemen. Um, and how about our continuation of troops, you know, in, um, in, in, in Iraq now, and now the additional troops and Afghanistan, Afghanistan, because we're uh-huh. a peace loving nation. I know that you don't have to tell me why I know we're a peace loving nation, but tell that to me because I think there's something wrong with my brain. The issue is, is that we have not had a decent foreign policy since we took down the Soviet Union. And so both Republicans and Democrats have screwed things up royally. And they both, there's plenty of blame to go around. But the big, biggest blame to go around is starting with the neocons on, around both, both President Bush 43, 41 and 43, is that they thought they could nation build. And that's not something America ever should be doing. It never was supposed to do. Reagan didn't want it. We, we can be an inspiration, shining city on the hill, but we never nation build. Everyone's got their own culture. Everyone has their own way of doing business and doing things and governing themselves. And we should not second guess them. We second guess them in Afghanistan to grief. We second guess them in Iraq to grief. And we are now uh, still throwing soldiers and coin in there. The worst thing is really in Afghanistan. We should have left it with the king and a bunch of warlords. That's how they run, ran their place for like 3,000 years. They fended off Alexander the Great. They fended off the Russians and the British on and off in the 19th century, and the Russians finally tossed the Soviets out. And they should have, we should have strengthened that. We should have brought back the monarchy and said it worked for the last 3,000 years. Keep it going. We went in with a bunch of people who thought that we could make them into a viable democracy in a few years. It took 600 years for Western Europe to become viable in, with a democracy. Why do we think we could do it in four years with a country and a culture that had never had even village-level elections? So there's a real problem there. And the other part of it is that the uh, you have so many Afghans who basically are shoot, just like in Iraq are shooting our soldiers in the back because they're part of the Taliban, they're part of something else. And then the other piece of this, the best, the biggest beneficiary in, our, in Afghanistan is China. China went in there when Karzai was president, gave him like $40 million and then and in, under the table and some other things and got all the mineral rights in that country. So right now we have American soldiers and American dollars basically stabilizing the country so the Chinese can extract minerals for themselves. The Chinese should, if the, if the Chinese want the minerals, they should be the one cleaning up and policing Afghanistan, right. not America. Do we have a declaration of war on Afghanistan? We had 
I think a resolution back after 9-11, but it wasn't a formal declaration okay. of war. It was more a War Powers Act resolution saying you can do whatever you need to do. And of course, that's now our longest war in right. American history. Well, if, if I was your professor in school and I asked you that question, I'd say, Scott, the answer was no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, I, but at least I'm being nice about it. Okay. Is sure. it, if I was your professor, I would have been nice about it. Right. Do, do we have a declaration of war in, on, in, uh, in uh, Yemen? No. Do we have a declaration of war in Afghanistan, uh, in, uh, in uh, Iraq? Iraq. No. Do we have a declaration of war? Well, obviously we're not at war North Korea, North Korea, but basically well, actually, we don't... actually there there was a declaration of war, but it was but it was done by the United Nations, and that and we're still technically under an armistice. There was no formal declaration of war right. directly from America, yeah. but America was was uh, basically empowered by the United Nations to fight the Korean War, and we've never left. Right. Well, which was a mistake. Uh, in my opinion, I, I think there's many people who share that opinion uh, and and people who study war, they, they have the same opinion. And obviously it's, it's probably right because nothing's been resolved over, after all these years. But it seems that we have a declaration of war on a noun, right? On a terror, what? On a noun, terror, right? That's a noun. Isn't a terror a noun? I have, I have an English yeah, major. Okay, she's a zombie, a noun, but she's an yes, English right, major. We have, right, you we know, have, but again, right, it isn't so we have, we have a declaration of war on a noun, and, um, mm-hmm. and, and to me, maybe if I was a total lunatic and, and locked up and on drugs, I would understand that, but I'm not exactly there yet. You understand that, you know? Yeah. So I, why don't these clowns, I, I mean, I, I really don't like to, insult clowns this way, but I'll use the word clowns. Why do these clowns in Washington, why doesn't someone bring this up? Do they, do they need me to tell, them, to, to, to tell them they're a bunch of clowns and we have no declaration of war and the war we have is on a noun? And I, I don't think we've ever won a, a war on a noun before. Has anyone ever brought this up to them? Well, you have management by press release. On a daily basis, they figure if they're the lead, a, a lead story on CNN or Fox, that's a win for the day. They don't. Th- we haven't had a strict. Again, as I mentioned earlier, we have not had a real foreign policy, an effective foreign policy, or even a strategic foreign policy since the Berlin Wall came down. We had one all during the Cold War to ultimately defeat communism and roll back the Soviet Union, but after that, we have we've, we have no strategy of what America should really be doing in the world. And well, both Republicans and Democrats in both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue have failed in that task. Well, you know, they, they failed. My, my mom has been passed away 20 years ago and, and she was literally angelic. She, she never even learned to drive. She would, I can, when I, when I picture my mother, I picture only her back cause she was always at the stove or by the sink, you know, with the washboard. I, I'm not kidding you. And my father used to, my father's from the old country, used to rant about all the political this and that. And she incessantly would say this one thing to my father. I'd never forget that. She'd say, Victor, if, if people would only stay home. Oh, by the way, she never even drove. She used to walk to Charlie's grocery store twice a day. We were convinced she was having a love affair with him. You know, we used to tease her about it. But, but she never even drove a car. She stayed home and t- took her care of her family. She was an absolute angel of a person, my mother. She used to say, Victor, if people would only stay home, 
and mind their own business, the world would be a better place. Those are exact words. I never forget those words. And if you ever wanted a secretary of state, get someone like my mother. <laughs> because she was right. Because what did our founders' father say? You know, no foreign entanglements at all. Right. You know, when, we, when products uh, cross borders, bullets and troops don't. I mean, it's there for them. They know that. A lot of these people have studied political science, you know, but they're making too much money on the war machine. When uh-huh. a bomb company says, you know, if you go, I just take this place, we can make the bombs, we'll give you a cut. These guys are going to vote for bombs. We got a bunch of crooked people in Washington we should clean out altogether, in my opinion. Both oh, Republican, Democrat, Independent, you name them all out. Absolutely. Well, Eisenhower is the one who coined the military-industrial complex, right. and here's a person who was a career military man, and he was the one who issued the most clear warning in his final address to the to the nation in the you know 1960. Yeah. So yes, he's it's there's a lot of entrenched interests who want to have people shooting at each other somewhere in the world, and America involved in that shooting. Yeah, there's, there's money in war, and we don't care how many people we kill, maim, destroy their lives, destroy nations. Destroy, we don't care because we're making some bucks out of the deal, you know? I never get anything. You know, they never send me a check. That's why I'm against <laughs> war, you know? I don't know. Scott, I, I, I'm really fed up with this country. I, 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 I don't see much light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we have a, a debt crisis on our hands. Um, we, we, we reach the ceiling means nothing. We just keep on piling on debt. Do these clowns in Washington think that you can increase the debt constantly, incessantly, and have no repercussion that someday something bad may happen when you print trillions of dollars from nothing, that this is a free ride? Well, that's really, I mean, we could end up uh, like the uh, the Republic, German Republic before Nazism, or uh, what Zimbabwe is now, where you got trillion dollar notes that only only are worth a dollar. The the problem is, is that the, the, the Congress, the executive branch, the argument they make is that we have to raise the debt ceiling because we've already spent the money and we've got to be, make good on our our bills. But then they don't do the other part of the equation. Okay. We don't want to spend any more money, so we don't have to increase the debt in the future. It's like somebody having a credit card, and they and the credit card company sees you're always up against the limit, and they say, "Hey, we'll raise the limit another $200." And you go, "Wonderful." What do you do? Do you sit there and say, "I'm still going to stick to the old limit"? No, you spend up to the new limit, and that's exactly why the credit why you have so many yeah. people in, in in very deep deep pits of debt uh, for their credit cards. And so that's exactly the way that Washington's functioning. If you're giving, you're, it's going to expand with the revenue it has. It's going to expand with the debt it has. It's going to expand with the buildings it has. And so there's no limitation on it. And they just think that they'll be dead and buried or writing a, writing a memoir in retirement and not have to ever pay the piper and ever have to be held accountable for what they're up to. Yeah, well, I wish I could be that way. I think we have a call, though. Uh, what's the area code on that? 
Uh, caller, area code 918, you're on the air. Your question or comments? Thank you for calling Liberty Talk Radio. Uh, hello, Joe. This is Lloyd. Lloyd, uh, thank you. <clears throat> you should read my email I sent you this afternoon. Uh, it plays into what you're talking about today, although I was commenting on uh, your comments yesterday. But uh, we have a, a total right to go around the world, policing the world everywhere, because basically we're following the Constitution, because Article 6 says this Constitution and laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. And the judges of every state shall be bound thereby. Anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. So you can infer from that that we have to go by the UN Treaty, we have to go by the NATO Treaty, uh, and so if the UN decides that we're the peacemaker in the world by going and invading people, we're just following the Constitution. Wow. Uh, uh, l- l- let's get the smarter of the two people here to respond to that. Scott, you're on. <laughs> you're on. Well, you're on. well the, uh, the National Security Council of the United Nations, whenever they say we want to go and sort out the, uh, uh, the issue in Sudan, where they're still shooting each other, or the issue 10, 20 years ago in Rwanda, where they were shooting each other, there's a lot of issues in West Africa, where there's a lot of countries that have been shooting at each other or, in, or internal tribal they pick, they can sit around and pick, well, let's send the Canadians. Let's send, in, in the case of a lot of the African countries, they send Kenyans, Nigerians, they send Africans to deal with other African countries. The United States doesn't have to sit there and jump up and wave its hand and say, we'll send them too. We, so it is, yes, we can certainly adhere to treaties and we should adhere to treaties, but we don't have to be the... Uh, the kid in the front of the class waving his hand always wanting to be called on by the teacher every time there's a conflict in the world. There's a lot of conflicts in the world, and they're being taken care of regionally, especially in Africa. Yeah, well, I agree. I mean, I'm not for all of these wars at all. I'm just saying that the Constitution left a whole lot of uh, open-ended statements and such that they can be construed to mean anything, and you can justify anything. Uh, you know, the necessary and proper uh, clause in uh, Article 1, Section 8, that can make all the laws pursuant, you know, to uh, uh, going to those trees. They can make any law they want to as long as they're fulfilling their obligation for the laws. And the treaties we make with UN and NATO happen to be the supreme law of the land, the Constitution notwithstanding. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the Constitution leaves much interpretation, but what's, I think, as important as the, the, the words themselves, but what was the intent of the word? I don't think the intent of those words was to say, well, let's leave this open so we can just become the policemen of the world. I, I, I think they were left intentionally because back in those days, we were basically isolationists. We say, geez, we have the Pacific Pond and we have the Atlantic Pond, and we don't have to fool around with what's happening in Europe, nor do we have to fool around with what's happening in Asia. We can do our own and trade on both ends 
and not be involved in their wars. I think that's what their mentality was. That's why when they wrote it, they felt comfortable doing it today. Today, if we wrote it, we know that they would be writing it with the intent of developing a war machine to make money. Scott. Well, you had, of course, you had the Monroe Doctrine that did the same thing that said, you know, America's interests expand over our hemisphere, but not other people's hemispheres and vice versa. And that worked for quite a while. But because we stayed out of all the crazy wars uh, in the late 19th century, the colonial wars in Africa and elsewhere. We also certainly stayed out of uh, the Franco-Prussian War and uh, other wars like that. So it was only in World War One, and again, it's pretty questionable why we got into that war to this day. Wilson really wanted to get involved. There was no real reason for us to get involved. The Zimmerman telegram about Germany trying to do crazy things in Mexico against us, we could have dealt with without losing a whole bunch of soldiers in, in, the, in the trenches of France. Yes, but uh, uh, Wilson wanted us to get involved in the war so we would have a seat at the League of Nations, which he just hoped and right. hoped would be similar to the UN. So, I mean, it, it's all done for politics. Okay, Lloyd, thank you very much for calling in. We certainly appreciate it. Well, you always have a good question, a good good comment to make, and you really make us think. Don't do that again. <laughs> it hurts. I'll tell you that. It hurts. <laughs> Thank you, Lloyd. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much for calling in. Um, uh, Scott, um, I, I read an interesting article on, on a resolution, suggested resolution to the conflict in North Korea. They said the United States should close all of its bases, bring everything home, keep its mouth shut. Don't do, you know, just if they want to, a company wants to trade to North Korea, let them trade. Let it be a free trade country with the United States. And that will, and then South Korea would be in a position of having to uh, arbitrate with North Korea and eventually they will get together because now, now there's no army behind each one of them, you know, other than their own standing army. They would have a better chance of aligning themselves with one another, staying as separate countries originally, uh, initially, but starting to trade and trust each other a little bit better because they don't have outside influences. You know, you can say China when it comes to North Korea and, and the United States when it comes to South Korea, but physically they're not there. And eventually over time, that wall will start melting as trade starts developing between them and more trust is, is garnered as a result of that. And I thought to myself, geez, that's a smart way of doing it. It won't cause it. If we save a lot of money, don't have, don't have to worry about bombs or anything like that. We come home. Um, there would be no reason for North Korea to want to nuke us. That would be, I mean, beyond insanity because we'd knock out the missile in midair and then we'd nuke them back and they wouldn't exist anymore. But it seems to be a logical solution. But all we think about in our solution is, you know, when, when and where will we drop the next, um, uh, high, you know, atomic Mother bomb. of all bombs or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, well, you're absolutely correct that there's been a lot of uh, people who are outside the mainstream of of foreign policy discussion in Washington who have said, for a number of years, let's finally sign a peace treaty and and, and technically end and officially end the, the Korean War, pull all of our troops out, and then 
let um, right now there's all there's about 36 special economic zones in North Korea. There, most of them are are moribund and nothing really gets done. But Kim Il Jung In Il there could could literally be the Deng Xiaoping of North Korea. He could bring North Korea into the 20 and now 21st century. He could make it just like China got made over by Deng Xiaoping, but there's no incentive to do it. North Korea has every major mineral. They were the industrial hub before the communists took over. It was The South was just an agrarian, very, very lightly populated. The North was the, was the economic engine, and then the communists screwed it all up. They could come back from the brink. The big problem is, is China has been egging them on, and I think Iran's been egging them on. I think the reason why the, our inspectors in Iran are not seeing much activity is because all the activity is Iranian scientists helping the North Korean scientists, and the, test, and the test bed is in North Korea, not in Iran. And so there's a lot of outside influence on the other side of the border. If we pull back on ours, we need to find some way, especially to deal with the Chinese, to make them understand that North Korea is not a useful foil against the U.S. and the West. It is a albatross around their neck, and they need to make some changes and force some changes. Oh, no. I, I, they, they need to be an entire realignment. And, and starting with Iran, there's no reason for us not, not to be, have absolutely perfectly good relationships with Iran. Um, uh, you know, we had wonderful relationships until Jimmy Carter screwed it up. Well, yeah, but, but there's no reason why we can't have that again. I mean, we keep war is our, our our weapon of of choice when it comes to negotiation, and and that's the big problem. Um, mm-hmm. The Iranians are Persians. There's no reason why we should be at war with a Persian. They're not attacking us, but boy, we have troops all over the place. We have missiles facing them all over the place. I mean, if 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 Russia had the same, or even China had the same armament in the Gulf Coast, in Mexico, in the islands of the, of the uh, Caribbean, you know, facing us, we would be paranoid too. Why, you know, we can solve well, we these did, problems by staying got, home. Got rid of them. <laughs> well, stay home. Yeah, but stay home and mind. My mother had the answer. Stay home and mind your own business. And sure. let's trade with, if, if we traded with uh, Iran, uh, then they wouldn't be aligning themselves with North Korea against the United States. They'd say, hey, no, <laughs> They are best friends. Don't screw with them. You know, they would be encouraging them. Um, you know, about uh, at the time that the uh, Ayatollah Khomeini took power, a few right. years after that, there was a survey, a worldwide survey, um, asking, and I, I don't know, I don't remember who did the survey. I, I just don't remember. And, and they, they somehow surveyed every country as to what their opinion of the United States was. Right. And they right. wanted a sort of a force rank, like the people who like the United States and people who dislike the United States. Right. Uh-huh. Country that came out number one in liking the United States. This is from the people, not from the governments, from the people right. was Iran. Oh, yes. And and the reason for that is that because of the Ayatollah many, we totally separate ourselves and they love American rock and roll. They loved Americans, you know. Oh, and, yes. Anyway. But you see where I'm going. I mean, there's oh, yeah. no reason for us 
because it, it, it's not going to happen overnight. But once you divorce yourself and then you start trading, eventually people say, hey, they're not, they're not as bad as my leaders told me they were. They make pretty good products. They're nice to deal with, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a process that we go through. We need to go through that healing process. Well, part of it is that also that, again, we always want to internationalize regional conflicts. You, part of the reason why Iran is Iran and the rest of uh, the Middle East, for the most part, is against Iran is because it's Sunni versus Shia that have been on separate sides since, like, uh, the mid-700s A.D. Right. And so why not? And when you start to total up the air forces and the military forces of Saudi Arabia and the other Sunni countries, they are huge. I mean, there is, and, and so the result is, is let them fight it out. Let them do the chessboard. We don't have yeah. to keep inserting ourselves right. in the middle of these things. Right. Well, we have about a minute left, and then one minute, I want, uh, I want you to tell us how do we solve all the problems of the world? <laughs> uh, enjoy lots of Halloween candy next month. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, I I really think a lot of these problems could be solved if we close the fifty bases in Japan because you know we need to have bases in Japan and yes. close all the well, yeah, all over the world, close all the bases down, bring all the soldiers home, stop fighting in every country and totally have a country of defense. You know, at one time we would uh, we had this. Big debate of whether or not women should be in the military. I said, what a stupid question. We shouldn't have anyone basically overseas in the military. If someone should attack us, every man, woman, child, grandmother, grandfather, even a five-year-old, give them a little pea shooter, everyone's in the army. I said, we, we, we conjure up this fake world that we try to control. Then we try to decide who should be fighting in all these wars. We shouldn't be fighting in any wars, and that's why the question was for the moot point in itself. And I, I just wish I'll, we would go in that direction, but it doesn't look like we're going. What is your projection for what's going to happen next? Well, first of all, just to, 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 on your point, even George W. Bush wanted to close over 300 overseas bases because he realized they were not unnecessary and very expensive and the military refused. They pushed back on them. So because we have something like 1100 bases worldwide and he wanted to close 300 of them and, and, he, and he was a, an interventionist and even he wanted to close them and the military refused. We ought to revisit that list as, as a first step. Well, who's, uh, isn't the president the one that uh, is the commander-in-chief? I mean, sure. he, since well, what he, is he a, since what is a, 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 a no, no, he, could have, he could have been more assertive. He could have been more assertive. Oh, yeah. Well, but, you know, they, well since one of the one-star general telling the commander-in-chief, no, I'm, we're not sending these guys home. Well, all we have to, well, there's a way around that, too. All you have to do is not recruit any more people, you know, and then eventually the people that are in that base, you know, they get if, when they get 92 years old like me, they have to come home. You know, they got to go to a nursing home. So you have to close the base. Well, there's my answer to that. <laughs> what do you think? Are you going to vote for me for president? Tell me, are you going to vote for me for president when I run? 
<laughs> You're hesitating. I don't think that was a yes. I don't think <laughs> we're out of time. Okay, Scott. All right. I will force you to answer that question. I'll give you the last minute to sum things up. We are definitely in a rabbit hole that was not of our choosing, and we're actually in the wrong rabbit hole. And I don't really know where things are going to end up. I mean, we've got China more than willing to let North Korea stay crazy. North Korea more than willing to have it stay crazy. We could still have a shooting war there in our lifetime, if not in our next few months. And it is just insane that we're at that point. We're stretched thin in the world. We're in the wrong places like Afghanistan. We're still getting soldiers shot in the back in Iraq and other places from the people we're supposed to be saving. And so we got some major issues, but part of it boils back down to since the Berlin Wall fell, we have had no strategic plan for what America should really do in the world, what America, what the threshold for American intervention or action in the world should ever be. And so without a plan, without a strategy, without any sort of end game of what America should look like in the world 50 years, even 10 years from now, we keep falling into these holes. And we, once in them, we seem to want to get deeper in them. And that's a real problem. And the Congress is to blame. Republican and Democrat administrations are to blame. The intelligentsia, such as it is, is to blame. And no one seems to be talking rationally about any of this. And it's going to kill more people. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, it's, you know, if I ever move out of the United States because I get so disgusted and I go to a place like Ecuador, I'll tell you what I'll do. If I buy property, I'll buy a little piece of property next to me and I'll save it for you. How about that? Thank you very much. Okay, also, look at, also look at New Zealand. It's a really nice place. Oh, yes. Yeah, beautiful there. Right. Okay. Scott, thank you so much for being on our show. We hope you do will join us again. Okay. You take care now. Thank you so much. Folks, thank this you. is the end of today's broadcast. We'd like to thank our sponsors for the financial support. And we'd like to thank you for listening in. You can further the cause of liberty by recommending this program to your friends. Let us hear from you. Our email address is comments at libertytalkradio.com. Remember, as my wife is like, would say you're either allowing your liberties to be taken away or you're striving to protect them. Unfortunately, folks, there is no middle ground. Until next time, this is Joe Cristiano. You've been listening to Liberty Talk Radio. Stay well. Stay tuned. Yeah. 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 Yeah.